let's get ready to talk about Chuck. Hello, you're listening to Go Chuck Yourself. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Chuck versus First Class, which of course features a uh, a former wrestler in a supporting role. Hence the earlier reference. I can't say the uh, the full catchphrase. I think that guy has has uh, trademarked that phrase and copyrighted it. Uh, really up the wazoo. Uh, I do not want to owe that man any money. Anyhow, if you would like to reach us, you can do that at our email. That is go check yourself podcast at gmail.com or you can always feel free to follow us and reach out to us on Twitter at GoChuckPodcast. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you are listening to this fine podcast. And uh, yeah, I would say let's step into the ring and uh, get ready to talk about Chuck. Here we go. Still here. That's right. Go chuck yourself. You're listening to the uh, world's premiere, or at least, I don't know, the current premiere Chuck podcast. I don't know if historically speaking we're the premiere Chuck podcast, but uh, you are listening to Go Chuck Yourself. My name is Chris Gillespie. My name is Aaron Arada. And uh, we are here to talk about season three, episode five of the television program Chuck. That is entitled Chuck versus First Class. Ooh. Uh, it's not yes. X-Men First Class, just to be clear. If you're here for X-Men First Class, leave. Get out of here. We don't want if you. you. Wanna, if you want to see Chuck taking on the young, you know, Charles Professor Xavier. X and a, a young Magneto, that is not what this is about. It's very different. It is only slightly less weird than that movie, <laughs> as it so happens. Uh, welcome. I hope that you are doing well. Um, I am going to take a stab and say that when this episode is released in about a week, that the current uh, global pandemic will probably still be going on. That's my guess. It would be nice if it wasn't. Right. I hope that this will be like, you'll listen to this and be like, this is dumb. This is not going on anymore. Uh, I hope that's because something better has happened and not because something worse has happened. <laughs> I don't think something wor- worse will happen, but who knows? Um, so, yeah, I hope that wherever you're listening from, that you are uh, safe and that you're OK and that you are using you know perhaps you are self-isolating so to speak perhaps you are uh, avoiding social interactions but you know now's never been a better time to uh to watch some chuck to listen to go check yourself uh i you know i am in new york city and aaron is in los angeles i am big big metropolitan areas that are not the ideal spots to be for global outbreaks of a contagious disease but uh <laughs> So as I'm going through the mental gymnastics of trying to cope with that and being like, oh, geez, like what uh, what does this mean for things? And uh, the thing that I kept returning to was that this coronavirus, as they call it, has no bearing on go chuck yourself. I was like, there's one aspect of my life that will not change in any way, shape or form. (laughs) And that is the podcast that is always been done remotely. Not always, but as of late has been done remotely is listen to people remotely. We watch Chuck remotely individually and uh so yeah well actually um i have been uh i hired the cast of chuck to perform each episode live for me so that aspect is actually going to change um now i'm going to have to watch as as nbc intended but up until now yeah i just had like zach over i had yvonne over i was like hey guys like reenact it please 
that's why the corporate card has been so high is because you've been perform you've been paying performers to oh, yeah, reenact yeah. episodes of Chuck. Yeah, it costs a couple million every time, but it's been worth it. Like to see to really be in the room with them is kind of amazing. I don't doubt that, but I've been meaning to talk to you about how concerned I am about <laughs> the amount of credit card debt that we're in. I didn't know what you were using it for, but now that I know, I guess I'm I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Oh. Uh, Okay. But well, <laughs> this the the pandemic has made me stop doing that. So, um, and really, like this isn't this isn't really the time to like worry about those kinds of things. So I feel like once mm -hmm. this is all once this is all handled, like we can talk about our credit card debt. But obviously, the government's <laughs> gonna forgive that. So like whatever. Yeah, we could get bailed out of the credit card debt. <laughs> yeah, that we're you've created we're big by... business, right? Go check yourself, big business. I I certainly would say that we're in the top. You know. 4 million podcasts in America easily. <laughs> so I think that makes us a pretty important part of the economy. Uh, I hope, you know, if you were listening into another country, I hope that things are okay. Obviously, we have celebrated Italy, and Italy is obviously having a uh, rough go of it mm -hmm. at the moment. So we hope that if you are listening to Italy, listening from Italy, I should say that you are you are all set. Uh, and wherever else, Italy is not the only country in the world, even though here at Go Check Yourself, we it's treat it as it is <laughs> the only one that matters. But now uh, now is the time for us to expand our hearts to include other other countries, other people. And we hope that everyone is staying healthy, staying sane as much as is possible. And um, if we can comfort you in any way or uh, if you are comforted by the fact of knowing that doing this and getting listens and emails and tweets is comforting us either way whatever gives you comfort we're happy to be a part of that in some small capacity yes so i guess what we're trying to say is thank you for flying with go chuck yourself airlines <laughs> and we will be reaching uh cruising altitude momentarily uh <laughs> we uh we're the pilots here we're going to be taken off with chuck versus first class aaron you are the uh the pilot here you're at the steering wheel i am just but a uh, a co-pilot if you will oh the, well that's nice that we're like pilots i thought we were gonna be like flight attendants which is also like a very valuable <laughs> job like pilots i'm not saying they're more important to the flying experience but just like i thought that i thought that's the role i was ready for but if that's i'm the just... pilot just a, a classic look into Aaron's uh, self-esteem. Like, <laughs> OK, <laughs> compare yourself to a job on an airplane. Yes. I'm like, OK, pilot. OK, <laughs> flight attendant. Well, uh, can I can I blame the patriarchy? No. I'm, oh, well, yes. I mean, you can. You absolutely no, can. I'm not allowed to. Well, uh, everybody just just fasten your seatbelts. Ignore the, the bumpiness of the beginning of this flight. <laughs> we have now taken off and, uh, you know, I'll let you go to the bathroom at some point, but for right now, listen in to these important safety <laughs> instructions. So we open on Morgan entering the Bymore as Respect plays, but it's not the Aretha Franklin version. It's a different version. Um, I don't know if this is the original version. I don't really know the history of the song Respect, so I don't really need to uh, get into that too much, but that's the song that's playing. He's wearing his assistant manager vest and walking with an air of authority, but his coworkers don't seem too happy about it. They all glare at him, etc. And when he makes it to the break room, we learn that they're outright trying to prank and or seriously hurt him with a heated doorknob, putting <laughs> laxative in his coffee and so on and so forth. I thought that sucked. Like both of those things could seriously hurt a person. Like mm. as someone who has like bowel issues sometimes, like if someone put a laxative in my food, I would be very upset. 
if someone put a laxative in my food, I probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Morgan makes what I'm ashamed to say is a pretty reasonable, mature speech about how the pranking needs to stop. I think that's mm -hmm. pretty valid. Unfortunately, after this, he sits in a chair that's lined with, I guess, glue, and he gets stuck to it. Everyone leaves him in the break room, and he yells for Chuck. Meanwhile, Chuck interrogates Casey about Shaw. Casey says Shaw is a special agent and can do pretty much whatever he wants, which right now includes conducting a review of their team. We cut to Shaw interviewing Sarah specifically about Chuck. He asks her whether Chuck is a real spy or a liability. Back in the Bymore, Chuck is trying to convince Casey to tell Shaw that Chuck is an integral part of the spy team because he thinks it's the only way for him to escape this ridiculous cover of working in the Bymore. Casey is paged and says that Shaw wants to interview Chuck now. I guess this interview is occurring with Chuck, Sarah, and Casey, not just Chuck. Looking at his handlers, Chuck starts to say how he's sure they were bad-mouthing him, but actually he's a good spy. I think this is pretty rude to Sarah, because, like, I know their relationship is running hot and cold, but why would Chuck think that she was, like, in there talking shit about him? She's never, like, she's always had his back before, so that's, like, a weird leap for Chuck to make. Shaw interrupts Chuck to say that he thinks there's a problem on their team, but the problem is Casey and Sarah. Chuck is surprised, but then he adamantly agrees with this, which, again, sucks. Like, no loyalty? I don't I don't agree with Chuck in this case. Shaw says Casey and Sarah coddle Chuck, and to rectify this, he's sending Chuck on his first solo mission to Paris. So at this point, I was very excited to see, like, the unfortunate set that they would have for, like, Parisian stuff. So uh, we'll, we'll get to that later. Mm -hmm. um, Shaw takes Chuck to the Bymore to train him. His first task is tranking Jeff with a trank pen. Shaw assures Chuck that he's read Jeff's file and he'll be just fine. Chuck pretends to check in on Jeff, and Jeff reacts very believably, saying that Chuck doesn't usually check in on him and is everything okay. This really reminded me of me anytime I get a text from someone who doesn't usually text me like, hey, how are you doing? Like, I guess in quarantine times, it's a little bit less weird than it usually is. But generally, when I get a text from someone, I'm like, am I dying? Like, does everyone know that I'm dying? Why is someone who doesn't usually talk to me asking how I am? Oh, God. So I, I believe this reaction from Jeff. Chuck is successful in squirting his pen into Jeff's coffee mug. After this, Shaw says that Chuck is ready. Chuck is dubious, but Shaw says Chuck has been on more missions in two years than most spies have been on in a lifetime. At this point, I was like, what? Is that, is that true? Like, I, I know he's on a lot of missions, but I assume, based on what we know about everyone else, that they're also going on missions? Like, what are the other spies doing? Do they get breaks? Yeah, I mean, maybe Chuck has just been, you know, he's been like pretty consistently busy over the past couple yeah. of years so maybe he's just cramming the missions in at a quicker pace than normal spies i guess so but sarah and casey are constantly alluding to the vast backstory that they each have yeah. and all the missions that they used to go on yeah and they are so are they not average spies or are they seriously surpassing the amount of missions that normal spies go on is it maybe that chuck like because it seems like the other spies do things where they're, like, embedded. Like, they try to, like, get into the ring or, like, whatever. Or, like, uh -huh. so maybe... Like, long cons. Yeah, so Chuck is doing, yeah. like, the quick ones, so maybe that's why. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Also, at this point, we see, like, a sick Hello Kitty box fan. I don't know if you noticed that, but it was very good. Her face was, like, the fan. It was really good. I wanted it. <laughs> As Chuck and Shaw leave, Morgan sees Jeff's cup of coffee and decides that that will be safe for him to drink since it's someone else's. He takes a sip and immediately passes out. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I felt kind of bad for him. Yeah, the season three Morgan is a little bit more empathetic than seasons one and two Morgan. For now. 
Uh, in Castle, Sarah and Casey tell Chuck he'll be traveling as Carmichael. He assures them he's ready, but then Casey discovers nunchucks in Chuck's baggage. Nun nunchucks. I know it's not spelled the same, but that was kind of like, you know, kind of a good weapon for him. Mm-hmm. Chuck says they're in the intersect and he prefers them to a gun. Sarah asks for a moment alone with Chuck. She is sure Chuck can do the mission, but she begs him not to do it now. Chuck says he doesn't want to let Shaw down. Shaw interrupts, insisting that Chuck is going and that Beckman agrees with him. So that was kind of like a, you know, like, your dad agrees with me or like, whatever. Uh, Sarah has to back down. Shaw gives Chuck a first class plane ticket and Chuck shouts, oh, daddy. That was <laughs> it was weird, but it was fine. Uh, Chuck boards a very, very, very fancy plane that just like has a bar. Like, I don't know. I, I'm I've never flown first class. Have you? I have not, okay. but I also, I guess, have not flown international flights, nor have I flown flights that would even maybe have this uh, feature, you know? I, I assume, but, like, I mean, it has to come from somewhere. I assume that some plane has this, like, maybe, like, Air Force One. But I've been mm-hmm. on the flight from L.A. to Paris, and it did not have a bar in the first class. Like, it had, like, the big seats and everything. Like, their seats looked real, but the bar was okay. wild. To take it back a moment, I uh, we actually missed a declassified scene that occurs in Castle oh. uh, during the kind of mission briefing. Okay. Shaw explains what the crypto key is that Chuck is looking for. Oh, well, that Sarah, would be useful. Sarah and Casey don't know if Chuck can handle the mission. They have their doubts. Chuck insists that he can he can handle himself thanks to all the training that he had in Prague. But Casey reminds him that he can be killed in Paris just as easily as anywhere else. Shaw tells Chuck that the ring courier with the key is in Paris. And Chuck will find the courier there. Chuck says that he can do that, but he just has one question. How does he do that? (laughs) Casey says that he and Sarah need a sidebar with Shaw and they send Chuck into the armory room and lock the door on him. So they kind of like just sequester him off Mm -hmm. in a side part of Castle. Mm -hmm. Sarah says that Chuck has never gone on a solo mission before and Shaw insists that the intersect needs to prove himself. The goal was to create a super soldier. And if they don't do that, then all of the work that was put into the intersect was for nothing. Sarah says that she will formally protest this. And Shaw says, great, put it in writing. And Sarah and Casey storm off. Shaw lets Chuck out of the armory. And Chuck says that Sarah and Casey can be a little overprotective at times. They don't believe that he can do it. And you know what? He doesn't believe he can do it either. Shaw tells him that he's been following the gang's exploits ever since Bryce sent Chuck the intersect. And he admits that Chuck impressed him by staying alive this long. Now he just needs Chuck to impress him by becoming a spy. Okay, so, I mean, some of that would have been useful to have. Some of that is pretty yes. similar to what happens, but, like, the Correct. the explanations would have been nice. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a declassified scene on the DVD, uh, just providing a little bit extra context. So, yes, we are, we're boarding the plane now. We're in first class, getting ready to take off to go to Paris. Yes, we are. So, Chuck takes a seat next to a really cute woman named Hannah. She's played by Kristen Kruick. Kruick? Do you, do you know how to... This is another thing we should have researched. Um, she it's played like, Lana Lang in Smallville. It's like we watch the show and forget that we're actually going to be recording about yes. it later. Like, we take the notes, and then it just doesn't occur that we're going to be gonna saying those aloud. notes aloud. Yeah. yeah. So she plays Lana Lang in Smallville, so a lot of people were very excited to see her. I was excited mm-hmm. to see her, too, but just because she's cute, I've never seen Smallville. 
But uh, they strike up a rapport by guessing the stories behind their fellow passengers. And Hannah is clearly a woman after my own heart, because when Chuck doesn't want his glass of champagne, Hannah offers to take his. Instead, they drink together, which I was, like, a little nervous about, because, like, Chuck is on the job. But, you know, gotta have fun here in first class. Hannah asks Chuck what he does, and he says he's in retail at a high-end store. So we cut to the Buy More, where Morgan has somehow been stuffed into a crane game machine. I... I forgot those existed until literally last week, but it was nice to see them. Like, I I really liked playing them back when I was a susceptible child. That has not... Okay, like, as if you're not a susceptible child <laughs> I mean, right yeah. now. But that claw machine has not always been there. I don't think. I've never noticed it before in the background of the Buy More. It seems like it was a new addition for this episode. I've never noticed it before either, but as I was saying, like, I for like my mind just goes blank when I see them apparently for the last like four years. And then I saw one like this week when I was trapped in the grocery store trying to buy toilet paper and soup. And I was like, oh, right, those things. So there's. <laughs> Did they have toilet paper and soup inside the claw machine? Oh my God. <laughs> that would be cruel, but also kind of a good idea. I came across a roll of toilet paper on the street the other day. It was just like in a parallel parking spot. I did not pick it up, but it looked like it was full. But once again, I did not want to use it. It was so like a single roll, like it wasn't like packaged or anything. Uh, there was one like good roll and then there was another roll with it that seems like it may have got hit by a car. <laughs> OK, well, I want to know the story there. Uh, maybe we'll be able to get to the bottom of that by the end of this episode. But uh, what we're going to get to the bottom of now is uh, what's <laughs> happening in the Bywar. So Morgan's trapped in the crane game, blah, blah, blah. Morgan wakes up and begins yelling just as Casey enters the store. Casey unlocks the crane game because apparently all the employees or maybe just Casey have a key to it. I don't know. I feel Mm -hmm. like there's it's shocking to me that there's more than one key, but uh, Casey has it. He lets Morgan out. Casey turns on the laughing employees and they all scatter because they're scared of them. Morgan asks Casey how he commands their respect like that. And this is a dynamic that. I, I was pretty interested in, like, this mm-hmm. is not something we've seen before, but Casey and Morgan, yeah, I'll, I'm here for it. Yeah, it could be interesting. Back on the plane, Chuck and Hannah are sitting at a full bar. Hannah asks Chuck if he flies first class often, and he's like, yeah, all the time. He asks about her, and she says she does computer work for a private investor who flies her all over the world. She asks his opinion on a bodybuilder type guy who is uh, Stone Cold Steve Aston. That's a, he is a, he is, I mean, not a bodybuilder, he's a wrestler, but. He's, he's big. He's He's got muscles. Can we form an alliance right now? My plan was to only refer... So the character's name is Hugo, but my plan is to only refer to him as Stone Cold Steve yeah, Austin. Yeah, and you have for... to say the full name every single Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Okay. okay, great. Okay. Yes. Um, I might have to make some uh, hasty additions to my notes, but that's fine. Uh, Chuck turns around and immediately flashes, and we find out that Stone Cold Steve Austin is a ring agent. And his name is Hugo Panzer, but we're not going to call him that. No, we're not. Hugo Panzer Hugo in the Panzer. show, but in this show, he's just Stone Cold yes. Steve Austin. Chuck runs to the bathroom to call his team, and Shaw tells him his mission isn't in Paris. It's on the plane. Oh, my God. What a surprise. What? What? What the... So I guess we're not going to get to see Paris after all. So to me, this sucks because, like, if Chuck had that information, he wouldn't have been drinking. Like, he would have been maybe a little bit more on his guard. And, like, maybe they were trying not to freak him out. But I feel like Shaw's planning here kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Shaw tells Chuck he can handle Stone Cold Steve Austin using the Trank pen. Once he hangs up, Sarah turns on Shaw to say Chuck isn't ready for a midair mission. She says neither she nor Casey have heard of Shaw and asks who he is. Shaw counters by asking Sarah why she went off the grid for three days when Chuck was in Prague. 
He asks whether she's a ring operative or whether that was about Chuck. Yeah, he just kind of drops this on her. It's yeah. very, uh, feels very, what's the word? Uh, not ag- uh, maybe aggressive. It's confrontational, yeah. absolutely. There's, um, you kind of get the feel that they are also, the characters in this episode of Chuck are also socially isolating themselves. Because yes. it's like, Chuck's, well, I guess he's on a plane, so that doesn't really count. But Casey's kind of off doing his own thing in the Buy More. And then Shaw and Sarah are basically just cooped up in Castle. Yeah, that's true. And I think we find out at some point that Shaw is living there. Mm-hmm. So... I don't like I I mean where else like if he lives in there where else does he go like he lives there he works there it's it's a very similar situation I also feel like this is just kind of confusing because like it's a flight so like if Chuck Trank Stone Cold Steve Aston like presumably he's gonna wake up at some point or like they're gonna start like deboarding the plane and people are gonna be like why isn't this guy waking up and then like if he wakes up Chuck's gonna be like in Paris like how are they going to extract him like what are they going to do to this guy like I don't it doesn't really make sense is my point here there are quite a few things in this episode (laughs) that I don't think make sense yes one of which would be like okay so the whole idea is that Stone Cold Steve Austin is traveling with a crypto key in his luggage why not if you know that this is going to be happening why not go to the airport and pose as like baggage handlers and try to intercept the luggage before it even arrives on the plane. Very and then that smart. way you're you're not up in the air and you can still inter like intercept the the package if you Yeah, it happens of being in Toy Story too. If toys yes. could do this, spies could do this. <laughs> um so anyhow, let's see how Chuck is going to be going about getting this uh this crypto key out of Stone Cold Steve Austin's luggage, which is in the cargo bay of the airplane. Chuck approaches Stone Cold Steve Austin's seat and asks if he can sit next to him because his current seatmate is annoying him. Stone Cold Steve Austin agrees and Chuck sits down and immediately starts bothering him. So Stone Cold Steve Austin puts in his headphones, which are attached to a beautiful, beautiful iPod. And oh, he closes yeah, you must his have been eyes. so excited to see that. I was. Uh, I only have to defend my iPod like on a daily basis at work. So this was <laughs> nice seeing an iPod just roaming free. Chuck then, uh, he kind of looks around the cabin before taking out his pen and then loudly declares crossword time before trying to shoot the sleep serum into uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's drink. Is that not how you begin doing crosswords? Crossword time. You have to announce it. If you don't announce it, then it doesn't count. The pen does not work, uh, much to Chuck's surprise, but Stone Cold Steve Austin hears... uh, he has his headphones in, but he hears the pen not working like he, he hears Chuck clicking the pen multiple times. And even though he has his eyes closed and the headphones in, he acknowledges that the pen is not working. So he says that sometimes pens don't work when there's a change in altitude. I guess that sounds legit. That's, I think I, that's true. Yeah, like, that sounds fine. If you have a pen in your like in your bag or something when you're on a plane, it can explode. Like, so mm-hmm. I feel like them not working also makes sense. So anyhow, Chuck is trying to make the pen work, but uh, while he's shaking it, Chuck accidentally sprays Stone Cold Steve Austin in the eyes with the serum. Stone Cold is confused by this uh, because it's not ink and immediately grabs Chuck by the throat and says, who are you? Chuck then sprays the sleep serum into Stone Cold Austin's uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's mouth causing him to pass out immediately. This gives Chuck a chance to steal Stone Cold Steve Austin's boarding pass. Back in Burbank, Casey is working a shift at the Buy More and sneaks into the break room to call Sarah and ask for an update on Chuck. Sarah assures him that Chuck is doing fine when Morgan enters the break room, so Casey hangs up. 
Morgan asks Casey for a favor, and Casey says that he's not interested. But Morgan <laughs> says that he will pull rank if he has to. Casey cracks his knuckles and asks what Morgan wants, and Morgan says that he needs help dealing with the rest of the Bymore staff. They won't listen to him, and they don't follow any, follow any rules. Casey immediately recognizes them as insurgents and says, I hate insurgents. And he and Morgan form new alliance, or their alliance really starts to uh, become more serious than it was just back at the vending machine, I suppose. Anyhow, in the air over, I don't know, let's say Oklahoma City, probably, Chuck makes his way to the back of the plane. He sneaks by a flight attendant and finds a door with a keypad. He enters a combination and then takes an elevator down into the cargo bay. And this is something I don't think this is even possible, right? Do you? I don't know if you know the layout of planes, but I don't like movies. Movies and television shows always make it seem like it's just like a a doorway from the main cabin to the like where they keep the luggage. Mm -hmm. But I imagine for safety reasons and just for like the design of a plane, that doesn't make any sense. Why would anyone ever need to go from the main cabin to the cargo bay? Yeah. Um. Well, my my thought about this was much dumber because, of course, your luggage is on the plane with you. But I just kind of. I guess I thought it was on a separate, like, I didn't really think it was on a separate plane, but, like, when my luggage is taken away from me, it's just gone, and then it reappears at the next airport. But I never really uh, thought about, like, I knew there was a cargo bay, because I knew that was the thing that's cold. But, uh, yeah. no, yeah. I I mean, there there has to be a way to get to it for, like, emergency purposes, but, like, it can't just be that easy. It can't be a door with an elevator. It's probably just like a latch, right? With like a little tiny ladder was what I would think. Yeah, I don't know. Um, if we have any listeners who are uh, plane experts, pilots, flight attendants, anything, uh, let us know. If you've designed a uh, plane, that's cool. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> hey, this is the plane I designed. You like it? You want to go for a spin? Yeah, we, we've established that Chris is an expert on uh, construction equipment. Not, uh, not so much on planes. Anyhow, in this cargo bay that you may or may not be able to access in an actual plane, <laughs> I don't fucking know. Uh, Chuck calls Shaw on the his special cell phone uh, and Shaw and Sarah remind him that all he needs to do is find a piece of luggage that matches Stone Cold Steve Austin's boarding pass. Well, I guess maybe it's not his boarding pass, but his like his, luggage, his luggage plane ticket plane is what ticket, it is. Yeah. Yes, I apologize. Anyhow, at this point, I was very excited. I don't know if you were excited about this, but... On all of the suitcases in the storage, like on the shelves where all the luggage is being held, all of the tags, all the luggage tags say CDG. And <laughs> those are my initials, CDG. And I was thinking to yours. myself, maybe this is like a shout out to me oh, for because your I wrote in. Yeah. Maybe because I wrote in, maybe that there was some kind of psychic involved with the production. Mm. And they're like, you know, this podcast is going to happen in a decade. And, you know, I just I was feeling very. I felt very seen by it. So but I'm then, happy for you. I thought that they said CDC because I've been seeing those initials a lot recently. So less exciting for me. But I like your interpretation. My interpretation was shattered when Catherine was like, no, CDG just stands for Charles de Gaulle Airport. Oh, which is yeah, where they're of course. Headed okay, Paris. that makes total sense. Anyhow, Chuck's task seems relatively simple. Uh, he just has to find St uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's suitcase, remove the ring's crypto key, get back to his seat, and enjoy the rest of his flight, hoping that Stone Cold Steve Austin doesn't wake up and murder him. Yeah, I mean, that's a 12-hour <laughs> flight. So um, I don't know how long the tranks work, but I feel like Morgan was not in the uh, crane game for 12 hours. And no. he's 
he's a lot smaller, so it would work. Sig- significantly smaller yeah. than Stone Cold Steve yeah. Austin. Back in Castle, Shaw says to Sarah, I'm right, aren't I? I should tell you that I'm always right. It's annoying, but it's true. And I have never identified more with a character on this program than in this moment. <laughs> with him? Yeah. For saying that? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> sure i guess that sounds that's Let's, your vibe let me dissect it i'm right aren't i so this is me saying that i'm right and i'm seeking acknowledgement from the other party okay and then he's being gracious enough to like give them a advanced noise uh, like notice about like i should tell you that i'm always right so he's just letting you know that this is how <laughs> it is and then he's offering sympathy for the other party because he's like i know it's annoying but it's true just accept it so I really enjoyed that moment. I thought but, that was pretty cocky of him to say, but when you break it down like that, it's actually he's doing Sarah a favor by letting her know. Right. He's just filling her in on how <laughs> right he is all the time. Uh, Sarah asks him to clarify what he's right about because he just kind of says this out of nowhere. <laughs> and he says uh, she wants to know what he's talking about so she can tell him that he's wrong because she don't give a shit. Shaw then elaborates, saying that most spies push their assets to perform, but Sarah protects Chuck and takes care of him. Shaw insists that he's right, just like he was right about Chuck being able to handle himself on the mission. And Sarah says, Chuck's not home free yet. And he's sure not, Aaron. As Chuck is looking for Stone Cold Steve Austin's bag in the cargo bay, Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, he's in his seat and he's wearing like a proto Apple watch or maybe like a one of those like. Apple Watch smart wristband things that like Garmin makes yeah, those yeah. GPS people. Yeah, uh, he's wearing one of those, and it identifies that his heart rate is dropping lower than normal, and it immediately shocks him awake. So the first thing that Stone Cold Steve Austin checks for upon waking up out of a deep sleep is his luggage claim ticket. That's the first thing that he checks. He's not disoriented for any period of time. He's not like, where am I? What am I doing? Where am I going? He just immediately reaches for his ticket and he's angered to find that it's gone. Meanwhile, in the cargo bay, Chuck finds Stone Cold Steve Austin's luggage and surprise, it's a massive steel casket. Hell yeah, it is. Can you, if you paid an airline enough, would they allow you to check a casket as luggage? Like, if you gave them enough money, if there were, like, extra fees for, like, the extra weight going on, would they let you do this? Well, how do you, how do you think caskets get overseas? That's a genuine question. Well, like, that's... This is in TV a lot with, like, things on planes. Like, there are often caskets down there. So, I assume that that's happening. Is that... Is it not? Is this another question for our plane listeners? I just assume that it would be they would have like a separate flight or like you wouldn't have to check it. It would just be like kind of understood that you the casket's going to be on the plane, but it had like the sticker on it like it was a suitcase. How did it go through the metal detector? Or I guess it wouldn't because he checked it. But so you're imagining that like he walks up to the like flight desk for like United or whatever, and he just is holding a casket and they put it like they weigh it and then they put it on the little conveyor belt. (laughs) Correct. That's what I'm assuming. He like shows up in a pickup truck or something with the casket. He's like, hey, I'm going to Paris. And they're like, okay, do you have any luggage to check? And he's like, yep. That's and a body. Him and like four other guys drop off this massive steel casket. Well, my other question here is like, so he goes down there to like look for Chuck and he's like looking around. Like presumably he knows he checked the massive casket. Like why doesn't he go look at that right away? Like make sure the thing's still in there. <laughs> yeah, he knows what it is. Yeah. He can just go directly to yeah. it. Um, so Chuck calls... 
Shaw again informs, informs him that Stone Cold Steve Austin's luggage is a casket. And Shaw is not surprised by this for some reason. In fact, he says it's a good hiding place. He tells Chuck that he knows what he needs to do. It's how would this? Why is that a good hiding place? Who would think of that? I don't know. Well, so I mean, Chuck- it happens in a flight plan starring Jodie Foster. So maybe uh, maybe he saw that. Maybe Shaw is a Jodie Foster fan. Chuck easily opens the steel casket, revealing the dead body of an old man who is wearing a suit, but he's not really secured at all. <laughs> it's not like a normal coffin or a casket where there's like the padding and it's like formed. Well, it's, to, he's to on a plane. He doesn't need to be secured. They, they'll do that no, later. I, I, you were so wrong about that. It's ridiculous because think about it. If it's just a corpse in a casket that's bigger than him, that's longer than him, it means that he's going to be shifting back and forth sliding inside the casket and he's going to get mushed his head is going to be mushed and his feet are going to be mushed okay so we also need to appeal to our listeners who run funeral homes or do funeral preparations especially for people who are being transported please let us know how this works (laughs) the so chuck ends up he like examines the corpse and it's awkward and he's like but then he finds that the ring's crypto key is taped to the inside of the corpse's palm as it turns out there's actually going to be Two corpses in the cargo bay because Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, you know, he arrives and he's sneaking around behind Chuck. And once again, it appears that anyone can access the cargo bay of this commercial yeah, flight. Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin just like waltzes in. Here's my um, other question. Who is the dead guy? Like, is that is that just like a dead guy they have that they found? Or was it like, was it a coffin that was being checked and they just like s- slipped the thing in there? Like, I don't uh-huh. There's a lot of questions here. Was he personally related to Stone Cold well, Steve Austin? Well, I was Austin? thinking maybe it was his dad, and he was just like, Dad, like, you believed in the ring, I believe in the ring, we're just gonna, like... <laughs> we're gonna do this together. Yeah, one last Chuck, time. Chuck asks him that in a moment. Uh, so, he... Chuck climbs into the casket to hide from Stone Cold Steve Austin, and Chuck, inside the casket, decides to call Sarah, but Sarah can't pick up her phone because she's arguing with Shaw. And Shaw tells her not to answer the phone. And Sarah suggests that Chuck could be in trouble. As it turns out, Shaw and Sarah have very different parenting styles. Shaw says that if Sarah answers the phone, Chuck will never be a real man. Um, I mean, spy. <laughs> and one day that will get him killed. Uh, I don't know if Shaw can turn Chuck into a spy with his parenting style. But at this rate, Shaw can certainly turn Chuck into a comedian. <laughs> Without Sarah to advise him, Chuck decides that he's best off hiding in the casket with the dead body rather than confront Stone Cold Steve Austin. So this is what he does. Chuck pulls the lid on top of him while he's straddling the body and says to himself, crossword time. Just kidding. He (laughs) says, don't freak out. That's what he does. That's his that would be a good catchphrase. We should maybe make note of that crossword time. Crossword time. Despite the fact that Stone Cold Steve Austin is roaming around the cargo bay, Chuck pops his head up like he's a little like, you know, like whack-a-mole thing. He sticks (laughs) his head out of the, the lid, which is once again made of steel to confirm that he's not an immediately uh he's not like in immediate danger and then he decides to call casey chuck tells casey what he's doing and casey says wait aren't you still on the plane chuck tells him that the mission is on the plane rather than in paris and then he informs casey that the ring operative is looking for him as they speak casey tells chuck that he needs to be like james the sandman fullington and fight <laughs> steve Col- stone cold steve austin because chuck quote pick the dumbest hiding spot and similar to evan hansen will be found dear evan hansen casey assures chuck that he needs to pretend to be scared and weak in order to lull stone cold steve austin into a false sense of security 
and then take him out by flashing. Chuck panics and asks what he should do if he doesn't flash. At this point, Stone Cold Steve Austin hears Chuck in the casket and flips off the lid, revealing a nervous Chuck who screams at the top of his lungs. <laughs> Casey hangs up on Chuck and calls Sarah to tell her that Chuck is in trouble. Sarah tells Shaw that Chuck's in danger and Shaw says something that I truly could not understand. It wasn't like I couldn't conceive of it. I I simply did not understand the words, the sound <laughs> that his mouth was making. I think he said something to the effect that he was hacking into Chuck's phone. Yeah, I think that's what happens. Is this when he calls on, the satellite? Uh, not quite. Okay. On the plane, Chuck says to Stone Cold Steve Austin that he hopes the corpse isn't Stone Cold Steve Austin's father, uh, or as we refer to him here, Stone Cold Steve Austin Sr. Uh, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin responds to this by punching Chuck in the stomach. Rather than continuing the fight, Stone Cold Steve Austin lets Chuck run away while Stone Cold Steve Austin removes a machete from his other piece of luggage that's also checked down there. Chuck well, you got it. You get two, right? Chuck, looking for a weapon, runs to the luggage belonging to the Yale fencing team, uh, who were also on the plane. They were mentioned briefly before when, with Hannah. Mm -hmm. uh, he finds their fencing swords. Stone Cold Steve Austin tells Chuck that if he surrenders, he'll make it clean. Which I'm assuming means that he's offering to decapitate Chuck with the machete. <laughs> yeah, That's I the mean he's gonna to... he's gonna just kill him in the most humane way possible. Where, which is decapitation? I I mean I'm not an expert on humane methods of killing. I would say like it probably would be like more like a euthanasia type. Like that would be the most humane. But like sure, sure. With the weapons that they have on hand, I'm also gonna note here that the um according to Wikipedia, the saber that Chuck uses in this scenario um cannot possibly exist because no modern fencing blade is that sharp or that robust. So um, note, note that as well in things to uh, insult here. <laughs> uh, so Chuck does succeed on flashing on the fencing sword, whether or not that fencing sword should exist. What follows is a sword fight between Chuck and Stone Cold Steve Austin. They have some pretty good back and forth with a sword play. Eventually, Chuck swats the machete out of Stone Cold Steve Austin's hand, and Stone Cold Steve Austin says that Chuck missed. Chuck cuts off one of the last remaining strains of the luggage cargo net that's holding up all of the luggage, and this causes all of the luggage to pour out onto Stone Cold Steve Austin. I thought this was pretty cool, but then, like, if you think about it some more, like, sword fights, I guess, make sense in, like, more, like, pirate movies and medieval movies, but, like, Stone Cold Steve Austin is, like, big. He could just, like, I mean... I guess the danger is him getting hit by Chuck's sword, but, like, I don't know. Sword fights never totally make sense because I feel like there's, like, this element of honor that you're, like, following. And, mm -hmm. like, if you're actually trying to kill someone, like, he could have easily killed Chuck, like, not following the rules of sword play. He could have just, like, gone at him, you know? Yes, I agree. Um, but it was Sarah... cool to see. Yeah, it was, it was different. It was yeah. fun. Sarah asked Chuck what's going on because I think they hacked his cell phone. So they called him and she's on speaker or something. I'm not sure. And Chuck says crossword time. <laughs> not really. He says that his first solo mission was a success as he takes a rope and makes to restrict Stone Cold Steve Austin. Back at the Bymore, Morgan has gathered all of the uh, all of the staff into the home theater room to announce that he's making John Casey his new lieutenant assistant manager. He says that. Anybody who's done with the insurgency can leave at that moment. So a bunch of people scatter out, leaving just Jeff Lester, Fernando, Skip Johnson, and a couple of other guys. Casey lights up a cigar and Jeff says, this is a no smoking store. To which Morgan says that Casey can smoke if he wants or he can put it out. 
at which point Casey puts out his cigar in the palm of his hand without flinching. This display of strength causes everyone besides Jeff and Lester to run out. Morgan asks Lester if he has anything to say, and Lester turns to Jeff, and Jeff says, Lester says, this isn't over, and the two walk out. Do you think, like, Vic Sahe was sick during this episode? Because he doesn't That's talk. That's why he wasn't talking? Well, they, they made yeah. the point that he's giving Morgan the silent treatment. Oh, maybe I missed that. Yeah, well, that's what they say, um, because Morgan says something like, oh, are you done, like, giving me the silent treatment, giving me the cold shoulder? He just doesn't, Mm -hmm. he's not talking. But he talks later. Yeah, I don't know, it seemed odd to me. Uh, In the air over, like, probably the Atlantic Ocean at this point, (laughs) Chuck and Hannah are sitting at the first-class bar after hours. Once again, there's a massive circular bar on the flight deck of this plane. Yeah, of course. That's, like, this cool, hip thing to hang out at. Chuck shows Hannah a miniature replica of the Eiffel Tower that he says his dad gave him. Remember Chuck's dad? Remember Chuck's dad? Remember <laughs> Chuck's passion about Paris? He's always wanted to go. That's this Re- massive character detail that we all know here in season three. Remember Chuck's passion about his father, who he is so desperately searching for his entire adult life and then found and then is somehow once again separated from him, but doesn't seem bothered by it at nope, all? Nobody cares. Chuck's got other things on his mind. They're looking at this miniature Eiffel Tower and they're having a grand old time talking about the elevator inside the actual Eiffel Tower, even though it's late and other passengers are probably trying to sleep. So they should really just shut the (laughs) fuck up. (laughs) When they reach a lull in their somewhat flirty conversation, Hannah asks Chuck if he's ever actually seen the Eiffel Tower, to which Chuck starts to lie, but then stops and admits that he's never seen it. Hannah points out that nobody riding in first class talks about things so passionately (laughs) and that he really stands out. Chuck says that he's just trying to fit in, but Hannah asks what his secret is. And then Chuck says that he works at the Buy More at the Nerd Herd and tells Hannah that he's going to Paris for a home install, courtesy of a local millionaire. Hannah asks Chuck if he wants to hear her secret, and he agrees. And she says that she recently lost her job and she's going to Paris to clean out her apartment. Chuck says that he's sorry to hear that, but then Hannah says that Quote, meeting you almost makes it worth it. And Chuck smiles. And I think they're headed for the Mile High Club. (laughs) They're drinking. They're on this weird, swanky airplane. I'm sure there's probably people getting up to all kinds of nasty stuff all over that plane. Oh, hell yeah. Back in Burbank, Lester is sound asleep in what I'm assuming is his childhood bedroom (laughs) when he's awakened by a mysterious man in his room who immediately knocks him out using chloroform. Could have just left him asleep. Lester then comes to in what we know is Casey's apartment, but it's pitch black and he's duct taped to a recliner with his mouth duct taped shut. Casey appears behind him and tells him that he's still asleep and to relax and to watch a flickering red dot on his television screen. Casey then gets down next to Lester and repeats, Morgan is your boss. Morgan is your boss. Morgan is your boss. Morgan is your boss. I'm trying to do this to the listener right now, Aaron. Oh, okay. Morgan is your boss. Morgan is your boss. Morgan. Morgan is, is your boss. Your boss. So he does that over and over again. Back in first class over uh, Spain, Chuck and Hannah are back in their seats joking about the buy more. Chuck takes a sip of a martini and then realizes that something tastes off about it. He didn't order that martini, actually. He doesn't even know where it came from. He starts to get dizzy and Hannah asks if he's okay. Chuck tries to act like he's fine, but he's starting to sweat and Hannah says that he looks like he's been poisoned. Chuck then takes his head and sees Stone Cold Steve Austin <laughs> sitting back in his seat. Stone Cold raises his glass to uh, to toast Chuck as if to say, crossword time. And Chuck grimaces. <laughs> Chuck is 
learning something that many professional wrestlers have learned before him. You just can't keep Stone Cold Steve Austin down. Woo! Austin 316! (laughs) Chuck goes to the bathroom and calls Sarah and Shaw. He tells them that he's been poisoned and they tell him that he needs to throw up. As this is happening, the flight attendant knocks on the door and asks if he's okay. Chuck opens the door and assures her that he's just having stomach issues, but the flight attendant points a gun at Chuck and tells him not to scream. As it turns out, she has the only vial of the antidote for the poison. She wants the crypto key. Chuck tells her he had the key in the cargo hold, so she takes him down there at gunpoint. By the time they get to the bottom of the unexplainable elevator, he is very sweaty. I thought that was a good detail, but it is uh, very interesting to see him. He was very sweaty. Also, Stone Cold Steve Austin is there. He punches Chuck in the stomach yet again. (laughs) Back in Castle, Sarah isn't sure what to do to help Chuck, but Shaw launches a satellite that's designed to take control of enemy planes or something. He asks Sarah, you're a pilot, right? Which is not something I think I knew, but something I was pretty on board with. Uh, She's worried because the plane is a 747 and Shaw says, crossword time. Just kidding. He says, hope you're a quick learner. In the cargo hold, Chuck calls his team on speakerphone and the flight attendant, who we find out is named Serena, demands that they authorize him to give her the key because I guess... That doesn't make sense either, because she could just take it. She doesn't need to get authorization, but uh, she says she's going to shoot him immediately if they don't comply. Shaw says to go ahead, but to know that he knows her name, which is Serena, and that she works for the ring, and if she does let Chuck go, he will let her and her team escape the plane. She tells him the ring doesn't tolerate failure, which is when Sarah takes full control of the plane and makes it jerk around, so Serena drops the antidote and a bunch of cargo falls on her and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And also Chuck a little bit, because he's he's there too. Now this next part is a little confusing. Uh, un- unlike the rest of the episode, this part specifically <laughs> is confusing. Uh, the pilot comes on the intercom and says, we're having a little turbulence instead of, holy shit, the plane seems to be flying itself now? <laughs> Everyone, including Hannah, fastens their seatbelts, but Chuck is still in the cargo hold, so he doesn't have a seatbelt. Uh, Everyone's just, like, stuff is flying around. Uh, Serena's trying to shoot him. Before she can, she gets hit by a big suitcase or whatever and falls down. So Chuck has time to drink the antidote, and when he's done, he sees his own suitcase and grabs his nunchucks. He flashes on nunchuck ability and tells Sarah to level off the plane so he can fight. As soon as she does, though, Chuck jumps up to see Stone Cold Steve Austin and Serena are both buried under cargo and out of commission. Oh well. Back in Castle... Shaw calls the satellite people and tells them to release the plane from Sarah's control. Then he tells Sarah that the flight crew will never even know they were there. What? (laughs) I don't understand this at all. What did they thought that was turbulence? Like, I don't, there's no way that makes sense. Turbulence doesn't feel like the plane is flying itself. Like, not just that it was flying itself, but she basically, like, she. Tip to the joystick forward, so the plane just like went into like yeah. They said like zero G's, dive. like yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the pilots just don't care. Like, what are these pilots <laughs> the doing? The pilots are just sitting there. They're just like, up oh, here we go. Oh. <laughs> turbulence. Uh, the turbulence is causing the plane to gradually go down at a diagonal <laughs> angle towards the ground. Yeah, well, like and I we thought, have no control like, over it. I thought maybe the pilots were just like trying not to inspire panic, but then Shaw made this comment, and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and also like the the people aren't like 
I guess Serena, like, infiltrated the plane, but, like, did they not notice that there was another flight attendant and now she's gone? Yeah, that she's gone, that a passenger's gone, <laughs> that this one passenger seems to be just, like, walking all around, disappearing occasionally. Yep. Shaw goes on to tell Sarah that he once lost a spy and it was his fault, so he's dedicated to protecting his team and making sure that never happens again. So at this point, like, the episode wants us to believe that, okay, like, Shaw is, like, a tough boss, and he, like, didn't give all the information, but, like, it was because he was trying to protect everybody, and actually he knew everything the whole time. But that's Mm -hmm. up for debate. He asked Sarah why she was in Lisbon, and she admits that she went to scatter Bryce's ashes. He believes her. He says he just had to know the ring hadn't gotten to her first. Meanwhile, Chuck is back on his seat in the plane, landing in Paris. Hannah asks if he'd like her to give him a tour of the Eiffel Tower. He says he'd love that, but then Shaw calls and tells Chuck to stay on the plane because they need the key back in Burbank ASAP. That's how planes work, Shaw. That's how planes work. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't, maybe they do. He seems to understand that you can take control of a plane remotely and make it do whatever. I guess you can. Yeah, Chuck, just, hey, did you just travel all the way from LA to Paris? Just stay on board if you just just want to go back. You don't need another ticket or another boarding pass. We don't need to clean the plane at all. We don't we're not concerned about safety reasons for people staying on the plane unattended. Just hang out. out. We'll be leaving soon. Yeah. So Chuck tells Hannah that he has to stay on the plane. And instead of saying, what is that how this works? Don't flight crews have to take breaks? How do planes work? Has Aaron just not known planes work like this? She says, what about Paris? He says he'll be back there eventually, and if she ever finds herself in Burbank and needs a job, he can convince Morgan to hire her, though she'll be overqualified. She thanks him and leaves. As his plane flies away, Chuck looks out the window at the Eiffel Tower, and the view he sees is definitely not the real view you'd see from the plane. He is way too low, but I guess... <laughs> Sarah's just going for a joyride in the plane. She's just sitting back. She's like, oh, the mission's over. Yep. I'll have a glass of wine and just <laughs> play with the airplane. I guess just like Chuck didn't get to see Paris, we didn't get to see a a shitty Chuck version of Paris after all. Back in the Bymore, Jeff asks Lester how they're going to get back at Casey and Morgan, but Lester is all brainwashed and he says, Morgan Grimes is the caring, the most caring, most kindest, most understanding person I've ever met in my life, which is a reference to the Manchurian candidate, I believe, uh, that Mm -hmm. I probably just messed up. Morgan asks Casey how he accomplished this, and Casey says he won't tell Morgan for reasons of plausible deniability. And now I'm worried, is this what happened to me? Is this why I like Morgan this season? Did Casey get to me? Pretty scary. (laughs) In Castle, Shaw uses the key to open the communication device that was in the gold briefcase. Was that the same one that they got from uh, the the guy with the the briefcase you know yes okay yes Good. they've okay. had it for a little while yeah. yeah i thought that they said there was a communication device and not a lockbox i mean i guess there's communication items in it sort of i don't mm. know it's kind of unclear but uh, he opens it with the key he says it was all intel his former agent had before they were killed he opens the box and pulls out a bunch of cds don't you a remember those blank cds yeah and i was just like I, for a moment, I was like, oh, part of my brain's like, oh, I'm all out of blank CDs. And I was like, what? I don't buy, that doesn't, I don't need, I'm not going to be burning CDs. Like, you never yeah, know. I, I mean, coronavirus, I iP- we might, that might happen at some point. <laughs> That's true. But I would, I'm, I don't think that I, I was just like, blank CDs. Blank part CDs. of me was excited. And then part of me was like, that's a dumb reason to be excited. <laughs> he also pulls out an envelope, which he takes with him to his office to open privately. Sarah follows I hope him. it's another letter of that he wrote saying that he's dead and <laughs> he's that he dead. needs them to <laughs> instructions on how to resurrect yep. him. 
Yeah, he just has a bunch of those laying around. He was just taking it away to dispose of it because it wasn't relevant. <laughs> Sarah follows him and asks what it is. He gives it to her to open, and she takes out a wedding ring and an engagement ring. So, like, it's it's a woman's ring. Uh, Shaw explains that his wife was killed by a ring agent five years ago. He says they both made the same mistake, falling in love with spies. And her name was Eve. Yeah, her name Eve was Eve. Shaw. I don't think I said that. Uh, back in the Bible, a French song plays, and Chuck looks at his Eiffel Tower figurine wistfully, which again would maybe have been a good character moment if we had ever seen that he wanted to go to Paris. Fortunately <gasps> for him, he looks up and Hannah is in the store. They smile at each other. Okay, Hannah, this is insane behavior. This is I don't like I don't think we have enough information about her to know. Like, is she from cause she says she has an apartment in Paris. Like she's been living in Paris. Is she from L.A.? Like, does she have any ties to L.A. other than that she happened to be there? And, like, this guy she met on a plane once, she's going to go get a job from him? And, like, if if I was, like, if I was sitting on a plane and I told someone that I had lost my job and then they were like, hey, I can get you a job at, like, my retail store. Like, I would appreciate that offer. And that's, like, that's nice. But, like, I I wouldn't even remember that. Like, if in a completely different city from where I live, in a completely different field from what I have been doing, like, this is crazy. And it's it's like played as like a sweet moment, like, oh, we're gonna get this romance. But I was like, that's crazy. It it sure is. It's it is very crazy. That so, is uh That's the end of the episode. That's the end of the episode. Chuck that's the tale of first class. Aaron <laughs> and Chris versus, versus first class. First class. Uh, um, do you have any, I, I really want to get into a big picture discussion of this episode, but do you have any contextual information that you'd want to share? Um, or? not, I don't have anything big. I just want to note that this is the only, um, this is the second episode since the pilot in which General Beckman does not appear. Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. It was, uh, maybe, maybe if she was here, this would have made more sense. She would have explained <laughs> things. I know. And, we, you know, I mean, we, you know, make fun of her for not really being that helpful with that kind of stuff. But, you know, the situation's bad when we're like, oh, man, I wish Beckman yeah. was here to explain yes, things. I know. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to know is just that um, we've we've talked about how Brandon Routh was Superman. We've talked about mm -hmm. how Matt Bomber and uh, Ryan McPartland auditioned for Superman. But um, we have not talked about Adam Baldwin voiced Superman in Superman Doomsday. Which I is oh, that really? yeah, and then uh, Matt Bomber later went on to voice Superman in Superman Brainiac Attacks. So hmm. there is a um, I guess you can you can be the judge of whether it's Chuck actors and actresses specifically or just like attractive white actors actors and actresses from this time period that were bound to be cast in a Superman film eventually. But I thought it was pretty interesting. <laughs> so there you go. Now, now let's get into it. All right, so Chuck, Mary, kill one part of this episode that we'd like to marry and one part of this episode we'd like to kill. Uh, I'm just going to go out and say that my Mary this week is I really enjoyed the scene of Casey hypnotizing Lester mm -hmm. uh, that made me laugh. It was very weird and dark <laughs> yes. and out of nowhere, mm -hmm. and I appreciated the uh, that weird little detour. Mine is also Casey, actually. Yeah. Um, and the beginning of the episode when Sarah asked to talk to Chuck privately Casey does like a really good eye roll and I, I really like that eye roll. I really liked his attitude about it because obviously he knows something's going on, but he's kind of loyal to them, but he's still going to like have his fun. So I liked mm. that moment from him. So uh, two pretty big Marys this week. Yes. <laughs> there was so much like to love about this episode. 
Um, <laughs> my kill what for this week, something that I was not fond of, was I'm just going to go ahead and say Stone Cold Steve Austin's acting. <gasps> it's, How uh, dare you? Not, He's going to come beat you up. It's not every day that a Chuck guest star turns in such a stinker of a performance. He was fun. I I know that he he was just doing the role and it, the role was not written. It was probably written for him or someone like him. And there's not really anything for him to do. But wrestlers, former wrestlers are just not good actors. Excuse me. And Excuse me. What about Dave Batista? He's not a good actor. He's in my spy. How could you be a bad actor and be in my spy? They're just not. I I'm sorry. He's his performance the, was the just WWE bad. WWE is all acting, isn't it? Yeah. So it's all a performance. They're great actors. Chris, you're wrong. I all right, well, agree to disagree. What was your kill? Oh, um, I I just thought that Shaw being mysterious didn't really make sense, like in mm-hmm. the context of the episode to have like thrills and surprises for the audience, sure that makes sense. But in the context of like a CIA mission, him withholding information from the team was not really helpful and did it like actually maybe hurt things. So I thought that um, there should have been a better, like I wish there was a better balance between like things we do for plot reasons versus things that are actually practical. And I thought that mm-hmm. much like uh, him being right all the time, him withholding information was just annoying. It was not strategic. It was just not helpful. Yes. All right. Fair enough. Uh, the next part of the podcast here is the scooter scale where we identify on a scale of zero to five corn dogs how many episodes or sorry how many corn dogs we would like to give this episode how many episodes we'd like to give a corn dog that would be <laughs> a different podcast is it a sentient uh, corn dog is it like we're just present we're just like no it would be like we're judging we're eating corn dogs and tasting them and then we're ranking how many episodes ah, of chuck we give okay a corn dog. yes all right maybe that's something we'll, we'll do in the future <laughs> we'll pocket that yeah. i don't think either of us would eat a hot dog or a corn dog in our normal life but maybe we'll do it for I the used show to, when i was a kid i used to get frozen ones from trader joe's and that would be like a snack that i would have oh yeah nice. they're pretty good nice. um so my thoughts about this episode the scooter scale my definitive ranking it's gonna go ahead and put it out there and say i don't know if this was a great episode of chuck or if this was a terrible episode <laughs> of chuck I feel like it was certainly the weirdest that we've seen thus far with Stone Cold Steve Austin, mm-hmm. um, a dead body in a casket yep. on a plane, the weird plane itself with the the elevator mm-hmm. and then also the cocktail bar yep. with people just hanging out. Um, it never appeared that the plane was ever moving until Sarah took control over it. <laughs> like the, it was like things are like you're on a plane. Sometimes things shift and they just didn't make any attempt of making it seem like an actual plane in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, Lester being hypnotized by Casey was weird. Sarah taking control of the plane, also strange. Uh, The ring device holding CDs and another ring. Uh, It was fun, but I don't know if it was legitimate fun or ironic fun. I feel like after talking to you, I'm leaning more on the ironic fun (laughs) side. So I think I'm going to have to go with a three. I just got to be middle of the road with this, I think. Or is 2.5 the middle? I guess 2.5. I guess 2.5, yeah. Okay, I'll do 2.5 corn dogs. So um, we haven't acknowledged it yet, but this still is the season of Aaron. And as such, I have been sure. uh, a fan of a lot of these episodes. This mm-hmm. is the first one that I'm going to dip a little bit, but I'm still I'm still a little bit high. I did enjoy this episode. I think the campiness, although points, parts of it annoyed me, I think that I did have a good time watching it. I did like 
the introduction of Hannah. I liked the Morgan plotline. Um, I thought a lot of it was fun, even if some of it didn't make sense. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a 3.5. Um, some of the things that I didn't like as much, um, I, again, I, like, we have never seen, like, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but we have never seen Chuck, like, want to go to Paris. Like, and that's played as if, like, it's played as if this is a huge character detail. They didn't need uh, to play it that way. Like, it could just be mm-hmm. like, wow, Chuck always talked about traveling because he did. Like, and it could just be like, oh, it mm-hmm. would have been cool to go to Paris. But instead, they decided to make it this like, ah, Chuck has always wanted to go to Paris. And he talked about it with his dad. And this was like a huge <laughs> thing. He carried around this Paris thing. Like, that doesn't really make sense. Um, and then there's just like the general things that don't make sense with like, what's what's hannah's situation like we don't get enough information about Mm. her shaw withholding information the plane the whole thing is confusing but still i had a good time watching it and those things didn't bother me too much because like the acting in the episode was pretty compelling so there you go 3.5 corn dogs it does uh seem like someone who created the story and the plot points of this were like if they had a, a writer in the writer's room who was kept in like was blindfolded and had their ears plugged so they couldn't hear or see anything that happened in the previous four episodes. Mm-hmm. And then they let they released them and they're like, all right, write episode five. And then they just were like, okay, here's okay. all this stuff. Like yep. I all right. Um well there you have it. It's been a long, strange trip, passengers, but we're finally touching down in Paris. But don't you go anywhere. Stay right there. Cause if you want to go back to LA, just hang out. We'll be uh taken off real soon yeah that's to how go it works another... we're just like we're like a train that like just mm-hmm. like turns around and goes backwards like when it gets to yes. its destination that's our that's right. our plane <laughs> so we're gonna be going backwards uh thank you for listening i hope you had a pleasant flight and we hope to uh see you again real soon my name is chris gillespie reminding you that food is sexy my name is erin arada hoping that you're uh staying healthy and I would like to tell you that it's crossword time. And also, <laughs> anything is possible. We will see you next week. Stay right there. Don't move. Stay right there. Thanks for listening. We're going to be coming right back. Don't, don't move. Don't get off the plane. Is that what takeoff sounds like? Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.